we are walking through the book of Colossians. We're still in chapter one, and we're in a series where we're talking about divine perspective. We're talking about how it is we look at the world. We're all uh, answering four fundamental questions. Where do we come from? What went wrong? Who can fix it? And is there any hope? Everybody on the planet is, is dealing with those four questions. And everyone has an answer, but not everyone has a good answer. What's your answer? Where are we from? What went wrong? Who can fix it? Is there any hope? The Bible gives us a clear answer to all of those questions. Please understand that the Bible is an explanation of reality. And, and so hear me. If you do not know and understand the Bible, you do not know and understand reality. You're looking at the world from a perspective that is not completely true, and you're missing out on significant information about what's really going on in the world. The Bible tells us plainly what has and is and it is going to be. And we have the capacity, we actually have the freedom to access this information, to know it, and then to live our lives based upon it, which is the very thing God commands us to do. Where are we from? What went wrong? Who can fix it? Is there any hope? The Bible says yes. The Bible is a single story made up of four parts that give the answer to those questions. Where are we from? First of all, God made us. In the beginning, God made all there is. And so there was a creation. But the world is not as it should be. The world is broken. Why? What happened? Well, the fall. We happened. God made us in his image. And as his image bearers, he gave us responsibility over his creation. And instead of trusting him and obeying him, we committed treason as a, as a race, as human beings. And that sin created death and suffering in our world. But God did not abandon us in that sin. Instead, God himself came in flesh. And that's the rescue. God in flesh, Jesus Christ, came to bring victory. And now he can fix it. He can fix our lives, our relationships, our marriages, our communities, our city, our world. He can fix it. He can bring salvation. And as we trust in him, we experience that rescue. Is there any hope? Absolutely. And here is our hope. This world is not our home. This world as it is will soon not be. Soon Christ will return and he will make all things new, new heaven, new earth, new reality. No more sin, no more suffering, no more tears, no more pain. This is our hope. Do you know this hope? Is this the way you view your world? Is this how you understand God? Is this how you understand yourself? For those of us who are born again, for those of us who are disciples of Jesus Christ, we have been given a new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And his life in us enables us to think differently. It says in 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. We are able to think and understand reality like Jesus. How? Because he is alive in us as we understand reality through his word, we can think and understand reality and what's going on really in the world. Without an understanding of who Jesus is, 
we cannot understand the Word. If we cannot understand the Word, we cannot understand reality. So it's, it's extremely important that we understand who Jesus is and look at life through the lens of Christ. I want to encourage you today to look at Jesus as the ultimate peacemaking warrior. Jesus Christ is a warrior. As we enter into this Easter season, we're about to enter into this time when we celebrate the coming of God and, and his death, burial, and resurrection. This year, I want to challenge you to do something. I want you to think about Christ coming into Jerusalem to give his life as a warrior coming to defeat our two greatest enemies. I want you to imagine that triumphant entry when Christ was coming in and they were crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise to God, praise to him who comes. Picture this as God in flesh coming into the Colosseum to crush the enemies of God. In this battle, the enemies of God thought that through killing Jesus that they would gain the victory. What they did not know and did not understand according to the word of God, that it was the will of God to crush his son. It was the will of God that he who knew no sin would become sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. That he would defeat one of our greatest enemies which is sin. When Jesus died, he took the penalty for our sin. And he won the victory for us to have a right relationship with God. And then he de defeated our second great enemy, which is death. This ultimate peacemaking warrior came in and he crushed our greatest enemies, sin and death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 56, says this. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the victory because we have the ultimate peacemaking warrior. The world is not as it should be. And either you are, are going to trust God and his word as what has been, and what has been revealed about Jesus Christ, or you're going to go in your own way and you're going to try to figure it out on your own. Let me tell you, whenever we go on our own and try to figure it out on our own, we make it worse. The world is not as it should be. The world is filled with brokenness. We have all experienced brokenness. Where does that come from? The breaking of our hearts, the brokenness in relationships, it all comes from the same source, sin. But here's what God has done. And here's the gospel, the good news. God has entered into time and space to set us free. That's what we were singing about this morning, that we have this one who is the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, has entered into our world, and because he paid for our sin, because he's conquered death, we can now, check it out, repent. We can stop trusting in ourselves, stop trusting in created things, things of this world, and we can turn to Christ and believe in him, and guess what he'll do? He'll give us new life so that we can pursue and recover God's design. Some of you have never done that. Some of you are, are maybe hearing this for the first time. Maybe you've heard it a little bit, but you've never really taken it serious for yourself. Some of you have been in church for years, and you've never actually had this experience. I want to pray that today you would experience this. I also want to pray for some who have experienced this. But your heart for God has grown cold. And you've become numb to the power of God 
not only in your world, but in your life. Let's pray together before we read the word. Father, you have done all that is necessary for us to live in a great freedom, in a personal relationship with you and with one another, in the victory of Christ. Would you today, would you today allow us to understand who Jesus is, who you are, God? Would you allow us to understand who we are and where we stand with you? And would you, Holy Spirit, today, would you convict us according to your word? Not according to what I'm about to say, but according to what your word says. Let me teach your word rightly now. And would you give us the faith to believe and to respond here in just a few minutes about what needs to change in our life? Please do this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, go to 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, uh, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, we're in this, uh, this it's a song or it's some kind of uh, oracle or it was some kind of poem that was very familiar to the early church. We think they sang it. And we're coming to the end of this song. It's not the end of the series, but it's the end of the song. We're coming down into ver verses 18 through 20. And what we see here is who Jesus is, who it is he uh, has, has died for us to be, and how it is we are to live. If you would, let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Ava is going to come and she is going to read for us Colossians chapter 1, again, verses 18 through 20. Ava, read that for us. And he is the head of the body. The church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. If you would be seated. So let's go back. Let's make sure we understand what's going on here. Uh, Paul, under the inspiration, is writing to the church at Colossae. So look in verses 1 and 2, and you see him there introducing himself. As far as we know, Paul never went to Colossae. From what we can gather, he heard about this church through Epaphras. And so Epaphras, if you look in verses 7, uh, he was the one who actually introduced the, the city of Colossae to Christ. And there were some who believed and were baptized and formed into a church. Now Paul, having heard about them through Epaphras, is, he's, he's saying, look, I've been praying for you. Uh, we've been asking God to intervene in your lives. Because the, look at verse 3, I'm sorry, verse 4, because we've heard about your faith and the love that you have because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven because of the foundation of the hope that, that all who believe have. And so he's praying that there would be a transformation in their midst. And, and so he, he's dealing, though, with an issue Epaphras was sent on a mission trip. The church there at Colossae heard that Paul was in prison in Rome. So they sent him to care for Paul's needs. And while he was there, Epaphras let Paul know that there were some charlatans. There were some clowns. In the first service, I said bozos. And I was thinking, you know what? There's a lot of people who don't know who Bo Who knows who bozo is? Okay, good. I'm not as old as I sometimes feel, right? 
But these, these clowns, and what they're basically saying is, hey, it's okay if you have Jesus and he's kind of a little bit of a part of your life. That's fine. But what you really need are these worldly teachings, this philosophy that we have. And you need to pay us pretty good, by the way, because we want to give you this special instruction so that you can be the really cool kids. It's, not, it's no problem for you to have Jesus. Just understand, Jesus is not enough. And so Paul is writing to the church at Colossae to say, that is a lie. Jesus Christ is preeminent. Jesus Christ is the Almighty. There is none like him. He is first. There is no other. And so he is introducing this and he is celebrating this glorious song and he's pointing to this victory. He's pointing to this ultimate peacemaking warrior. And here's the fact. Many of you in this room already know what I've been saying. You know it here. But here's the reality. Many do not feel it here. There's a big difference between knowing something in your head and knowing it deep into your heart. See, when it's in your heart, it changes the way you live. Changes every way and how you approach what's going on. And in my time alone with God right now, I'm reading through Exodus and I love the book of Exodus because it pre presents to me my salvation story and the salvation story of every person I know who's ever been saved. See, the people were in bondage and the ultimate peacemaking warrior entered into a battle with the Egyptian leadership and he won the victory and he set them free and the people were released and so they passed through water they were identified as they passed through the Red Sea like a baptism with and as being God's people God gave them their, his word and then called them to, to make him central to their existence and so when you get to Exodus where I am in the, in the section they're talking about the tabernacle and what was supposed to happen in the tabernacle. And it's amazing to, to think about what it looked like when the people of God were encamped as God commanded them. There's a picture of it. Again, this is just a drawing of it, but this is something of what it looked like. You had the tabernacle, the presence of God, the, the cloud by day, the fire by night. You had Moses and then Aaron and, 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 and the Levitical folks. But then you had all the tribes. Isn't it interesting that they formed a cross? But what was central was the very presence of God. Now, how silly would it have been if these people, having been set free by the power of this ultimate peacemaking warrior and his presence to be, his presence to be so manifest, but they would say, well, God, that's great. I really appreciate that. But you know, me and my crew over here, we'll show up when we can. But you know, we got business over in these mountains and we want to kind of come over in here and hang out with these people. And hey, it's not a bad thing. And if we've got time, we'll get there. But, but really, we've got other more important matters to handle. And uh, hey, if we get around to seeing you again, God, hope to see you. How silly would that be? How silly is it that many of God's people approach Jesus Christ that way today. Is Christ really central to your life? I mean, when you come, and do you come every Sunday to worship with a family? Are you really engaged in the life of this family? 
Here at Living Hope, we say that we are a family of disciples, making disciples, leading others to anchor their life in hope in Jesus as we worship, connect, serve, and multiply, that Christ is central to our life. That is what we say. Is that true for you? See, I want you to write this down and understand what God's word says. The victory of Jesus leads to the realignment of our lives. He leads us to realign our lives around Christ. Just as the tabernacle was central to the the children of Israel, so Christ is now central to the life of all of God's children. And he's called us not to be a collective of uh, uh, just a bunch of individuals, but literally to be a family. And that we as a family decide that we're going to put him first. Because look what it says in verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. Christ is first. Let me ask you, is he really first in your life? Is he really central to your life? Or let me ask you this. Is Jesus just a part of your life? Jesus Christ, the ultimate peacemaking warrior, came to be central to our very identity, to our very purpose in living. But there are many who claim Christ, who who honestly, if if you're honest, would have to say, no, he's not central to my life. He's important, and he's got a segment of my life, but he doesn't define reality for me. I don't see everything through him. He doesn't guide the way I spend my time and my money and the way I vote and the way I treat other people and the way I approach my every single day of existence. I give him whatever time I can. I give what maybe is left over of my money. I kind of like to come when it feels good and when it's, when it's kind of, you, know, uh, uh, you know, if it's comfortable for my schedule. But for him to be first, for him to be central, for him to be my everything, eh, I think if we're honest, a lot of people would have to say, Christ isn't first. See, as our church family gathers, we, we like to do five basic things. We, we talk about worship. It's the first, that's the first thing we do. We connect, we get in groups. We serve the church, we serve our city in the name of Jesus. We equip, we, we go and we get training from our best teachers who show us how to dig deep into the word, to understand theology, to be able to have healthy marriages and to be healthy parents. And then we multiply. We pray and we pursue lost people and we tell them about Jesus Christ. Does that describe your life? See, I think what has happened is that there was probably a point where many here today who are followers of Jesus Christ, and you really are saved, when your heart was very tender to the things of God, and you would weep over your sin, and you desired and you longed to be with God's people. But the reality is, if you're honest right now, you've gotten a little numb. Show of hands, how many of you have ever laid on your body, like slept on it or, or sat a certain way, and like an arm or a leg fell asleep? Isn't that the worst? I hate it when I sleep like that, if I sleep on my hand, because my alarm will go off in the morning, and my hand's numb, and I'm like smacking my phone, trying to like turn it off, right? Because it's just not working right. It's numb. See, we are the body of Christ. See, it says right here, he is the head of the body. And here's what's happening to some of his members, some of you, sometimes me. 
is that we get numb. We're not sensitive to the sin in our life. We let pride swell. We let lust and greed and we, we let other things take priority over Christ's place in our life. And we think that other things are going to be better for us. And so we, we don't pursue God and his word. And we, we don't serve God's purpose. And, and we don't worship him and delight in him. We've got other things to do. I want to thank all of you who participated in our, our church spiritual um, life survey. It gave us a real good sense of kind of where we are. Almost 40, over 40% 40 of you participated. In, and, and interestingly... The consultant was in town this week to talk to our leadership, and here's what they told us. We are an extremely healthy church. 2,500 churches and over 500,000 people took this survey. And according to their data, we are extremely healthy. They say that we have one of the highest doctrinally sound congregations they've seen. Our people know theology. We've spent the last four years pressing you to understand theology. We've been preaching doctrine heavily. Uh, we, we have a, a strong missions emphasis. We are touching places all around the world. And according and in comparison to other churches, we are considered very healthy. But according to the Bible, we're not. Here's why I say that. Because according to the data, almost one in four of our people do not spend time alone in God's word every day. Almost one in four of our people do not pray and pursue lost people. In other words, right now, if I said, did you spend time every single day this week in God's word and in prayer and are you praying for a lost person and pursuing a conversation with them hearing their story sharing your story and sharing the gospel only one in four of you would put your hand up and I'm not going to ask you to do that why because we're getting numb because the world is telling us that Jesus isn't first because the world is telling us there's more important things than Jesus because the world is telling us you just need a little Jesus in your life but the real important stuff that's what you need to give your money to that's what you need to give your time to yeah, you don't need to worry about knowing the Bible you don't need to worry about sharing Jesus with people sure they're going to hell but that's not your problem what really matters is that you're comfortable and that you're happy and you're satisfied in your spiritual life and that's the lie a majority of our membership is believing and it's because our hearts have become numb. Where are you? Is Christ first in your life? Is your life realigned around the centrality of Jesus Christ? See, when, when we understand who Christ is, not only do we realign ourselves, we rejoice. See, the victory of Jesus, write it down, leads to the rejoicing in our lives. Because we believe, verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, that's a glorious mystery. 
It's one that leaves us in awe. It wrecks us intellectually and spiritually. It thrills us because we know somehow, some way, this God has entered into our world and he has saved us and he's alive in us and we're alive in him. And that changes everything about what we see and believe that's going on in the world. We see everything through this and we rejoice. We don't understand it all. Deuteronomy 29, 29, when I was studying theology, this was always a great comfort to me. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. There are some doctrines that we are just gonna have to believe, but we're not gonna fully understand, like the Trinity, like the, the sovereignty of God, so many of the incommunicable attributes of God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. There are things we know. Let me tell you what I do know. Jesus Christ is God, and he came and he died for our sins to set us free, and he has conquered death, and we can live for him forever by faith in him. Amen? I believe and I know for certain that the Spirit of God has come into this world and He is bringing us to life. He has brought us to life. He has now sealed us until the day of judgment and will guide us in truth. Amen? I believe that God the Father has a plan for every one of His children. And if we walk in, in a way that honors Jesus Christ, we will fulfill our destiny and one day we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? We know that. Oh, the amens are getting more and more quiet. We know this. Do we know this in our heart? Is it the rejoicing of our heart? See, there are a lot of Christians who are living as spiritual homeless people today, and that's some of you. I heard an unbelievable story this week. Maybe you've heard this before. Richard Leroy Walters a jet propulsion specialist engineer. He retired and disappeared. Relationships were very taxing. Loving people and being engaged and having a home and having responsibilities, a little bit more than he wanted to bear. So you know what? He decided to live out of a backpack and a grocery cart as a homeless person. He died as a homeless person in 2007 with over $4 million in his bank account. Jesus Christ has come so that the riches of the glory of heaven would be available to us. So that we could be a part of his eternal family and center our lives on him Trusting in his provision. Is it hard? You better believe it is. Loving people, being responsible and accountable to other people, giving up other things that the world says that we've got to have and saying, no, 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 Christ is going to come first. I'm going to rejoice in him. I'm going to realign my life around him. So many of God's children are not doing that. There are many of you who Come into this place as strangers and leave as quickly as you can as strangers. You're living like spiritual homeless people. God has called you to make the church your home where you worship, connect, serve, equip, and multiply. 
He's called you to make Christ first so that you dig into his word so you can understand reality and so you will rejoice and so that you can fulfill the purpose for which Christ came for you, which is to experience reconciliation. Write it down and understand. The victory of Jesus leads to the reconciliation of our lives. It says in verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Christ has restored our relationship with God through the Look at that, by the blood of his cross. Whenever we receive the Lord's Supper, I almost always quote to you Hebrews 9, 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. We now have peace with God. We are now reconciled to God on earth because Christ has entered into our life and he's alive in us right now on this earth and in heaven because we now have access to the Father in the power of the Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. We have access to the Father. We have been reconciled to God. He is now alive in us and that gives us a glorious ministry of reconciliation. Look what it says. This is 2 Corinthians 5. This is the Christian's job description. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. God has given us the glorious responsibility of inviting people to our Father's house to feed on the truth of his word and to hear the gospel. He's given us the glorious responsibility of building friendships with wayward Christians and lost people and loving them enough to tell them the truth about the seriousness of their condition in a very respectful, honorable way. Here's what the data shows about living hope. One in four, only one in four in the word and in prayer. Only one in four are praying and pursuing lost people. There are about 800 people who are in church every Sunday. And there are several thousand who claim Christ who are very comfortable not worshiping God and not being in his word for weeks at a time. Friends, we need revival. We need a revival. We have, we have so many whose hearts have grown cold towards God. And we're supposed to be one of the healthiest churches in the country. I don't think God sees it that way. I think God's word is calling us to repent. I believe God's word is calling us to make God central to our existence. I believe God's word is calling us to do the hard thing of gathering and getting to know this family and living as a family, worshiping together, caring for each other in groups, growing together, serving one another. Now, here's what I know. If you're going to do that, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to require sacrifice. But you've got a choice to make. Are you going to leave Jesus as just a little part of your life? Or are you going to make Jesus Christ central to your existence? Are you going to gather with the family and put him first 
and serve and give and love? Or are you just going to say, ah, I've got just enough that I feel comfortable. I know I'm going to heaven. I'm sorry everybody else is going to hell, but that's not really my problem. And I know that there's people in the church that probably need my prayer and probably need me in a group with them and probably need me to care for them. And probably one day I'll be like them. But right now I feel okay just living as a spiritual homeless person. And and I think I'll just get by. You got to choose. I want to ask you today to choose Christ. Some of you for the first time to be saved. Some of you, if you're honest, you know your heart has grown cold and you need to ask God to forgive you and to revive your heart. I know there's one in four of you who are walking faithfully with the Lord. I want to ask you to come get on your knees and pray for revival. I'm going to tell you what I can't do. I can't talk us into this. I can't bring in enough guest speakers to entertain us into believing this and doing this. Either the Spirit of God is going to revive us or we're going to be cold towards the things of God and live and die as spiritual homeless people. Friends, let's pray. Let's ask God to move. Lord God, right now, I want to ask that you would revive us. And I want you to pray. I I want you to call people to pray. Some to to get on their knees and pray for you to forgive them of their sin and to be first in their life. Some who need to come and say, Lord, I I ask you to save me, but I have not been living with you first in my life. I want you to be first in my marriage and I want you to heal it and first in our family, first in my everything. And Lord, I pray that there will be some today who will come and and ask you to revive our church. And Lord, I pray that you will hear our prayers. We have such a good friend in you, Lord Jesus. Move us to pray now and move us to obey and to be a family of disciples, making disciples that worship, connect, serve, equip, and multiply. Hear the prayers of your people. Let's stand together. Come and pray as we sing.